0: Anxiety, suicides, fear, sleepless nights, all on the rise massively with this pandemic, I brought an expert on because I feel the tug even myself. And I had to really address it from a deep root issue. You know me, right? I have to get to the causative factors. What are we doing about this problem? right? Well, this answer is going to surprise you. Dr. Kelly in this episode has written a number one bestseller. I saw her at a seminar and I said, man, I have to interview her and bring you what I heard her say. But because I, I, this goes, this episode goes beyond even what we're facing now. But what she points out is this is a great opportunity to really tap in to make ourselves better i'm telling you there is just amazing amazing information here that you're going to want to hear and you're going to probably end up sending it to all of your family members and friends watch
1: hello everyone welcome to cellular healing tv i'm ashley smith and today we welcome dr kelly brogan dr brogan is a holistic psychiatrist new york times bestselling author and she's the founder of the Vital Life Project, an online healing program and membership community. She specializes in root cause resolutions to psychiatric syndromes, and she's here today to discuss why this current moment in time is an opportunity to tap into the root of our own mental and physical health. So let's get started and welcome Dr. Kelly Brogan and of course, Dr. Papa. Welcome both of you. Thank you, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Kelly, I, you know, I had the pleasure of hearing you speak um, at a seminar recently and everything you brought up, you know, laid heavy on my heart. And I said to myself, finally, you know, someone is acknowledging what I intuitively knew in my heart. I don't have the, the background in what you do. You know, to understand the psychology of what's going through people or the psychology that lockdowns, masks and everything that we're going through, the fear from this, you know, being created by media in every aspect, from social media, mainstream media. I've never seen anything like it. I think everyone would agree with that. But, you know, I've even done some videos that where, you know, my absolute concern is the rising numbers of suicide, anxiety. I just did a a video this morning on Facebook about anxiety. I've never seen anything like it. And I think anxiety was escalating anyway. And now at an all time high sleep problems. And, you know, my thing is, is gosh, you know, it's, I I feel like part of me has to bring an answer, but there's a psychology here deeper than, um, you know, I feel like I can address. That's why you're here. So let's dig in. Let's dig into this, uh, this topic, right? It's like, because we both feel that this is, there's something to do and we're going to discuss that, that, you know, that our family members and ourselves don't have to be fall victim uh, to these statistics, but let's talk about it a a little bit. What's, what, what the heck is going on in the world right now?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I love the quote from Krishnamurti that it is no sign of health to be well adapted to a profoundly sick society. So the statistical references you just made and I'm sure your lived experience and mine that reflects a deep disturbance, right? How much struggle we are in the midst of but it's kind of like a slow boil, isn't it right now? It's this kind of like under the cover of Uh, a kind of sleepy haze that something very terrible (laughs) is happening, right? And, And things are awry. And so that we would express that through our symptoms, that we would have insomnia, that we would feel hopeless, that we would have trouble concentrating, that we would have trouble just even being in our own skin, that we would have digestive symptoms or joint pain This is the wise expression. And I know that's why I love, um, you know, speaking to and and collaborating with chiropractors is because I know that vitalism is part and parcel of the way that you see the world. And as a recovering MD, you know, uh, I I had to stumble upon that philosophy in order to validate my deep, deeply buried uh, intuition that the body has uh, mistake-free wisdom. Yeah. and that symptoms are are meaningful uh, ways of speaking to us about us, right? It's, it's yeah. this, my symptoms are my, uh, you know, lesser conscious self bringing to awareness um, me right learning the language of myself is responding are just covering them instead of saying huh
0: what is my body trying to tell me (laughs) of
2: course you know because we are about you know 300 years into the enculturation around our bodies as separate from our spirit right so the body is this kind of flesh suit that we have to manage into submission and once in a while it creates a nuisance or it threatens to shut down altogether Uh, and we have to recruit the authority of the priesthood, right? So I'll I'll use these terms um, related to religion, because I do, uh, at this point, see conventional medicine as a religion. And it is not only that, it's an orthodoxy, because there is not any room uh, for any other belief systems, right? And if we were free to practice health, according to our own belief systems, then we would not see you know, um, forced uh, psychiatric uh, injections. We wouldn't see medical kidnapping for refusal of chemotherapy. And we certainly wouldn't see mandates of vaccines and other health interventions, quote and, unquote. And
0: I wouldn't be fearful of saying certain words to get this video <laughs> shut down.
2: <laughs> it's, it's all of the... Um, you know, tyrannical signs and symbols are here for us to, to observe, but it's medical tyranny that we are dealing with. And that's why, you know, I, I feel like I have a special, um, capacity to comment because I have spent many years under trying to understand how it is that we can fall for these lies, how it is that we could possibly betray ourselves, um, and give our power away to individuals, well-meaning doctors and systems that actually don't define health the same way that we do. Maybe they define health as the absence of death, but that's not how you and I define health. We have a, a totally different rubric yeah. that involves vitality it involves self-discovery and it involves feeling safe because you generate within yourself those conditions of safety. You don't need other people to you know, a- accommodate your fears. And that's a big part of what's happening, um, you know, interpersonally um, and psychosocially right now is that we have lost sight of the fact that it is not our obligation to accommodate the fears of others or the, or the weakness of others. Right. And if you, you know, if you do that for one fear, then we should be doing it for all. What about people who are afraid of dogs or people who are you well, know, allergic to peanuts or whatever, right? What kind is of
0: tapping into this social pressure that now exists to yeah. wear a mask, not to wear a mask, to stay away from people, right? Because, you know, again, you know, there, there's a lot of debate about all of these things, mass distancing. The Mount Sinai study just came out and said it didn't really do anything. Like, how come social media? That was a military study, very accurate. The Cochrane's uh, collaboration just looked at it. So my point is, is that we can debate it every way, but what you're saying is there's this, now this responsibility to deal with other people's fear. Right. Because from the very beginning, I and my family were like, we wanna get this virus, we're not gonna avoid it. I would rather be exposed. Now, again, I, I wanna be, be very clear. There are certain groups that I would be the first to say, Yeah, you might not want to get this, right? It's like, so, you know, I'm being very cautious, but me, I realized that in fact, viruses are our communication with our environments. It's very important to get them and they actually build health. And I knew that it was just a matter of time before I had to be exposed. Okay, that's my paradigm, right? It's like, so I'm not operating in fear, but other people are. So is it my responsibility then to do all this? To what degree? deal with their fears i think you're saying where do we draw the line
2: yeah and humans are natively compassionate we are good at our baseline right so when compassion and care for others has to be coerced there should be a red flag that's raised that says this is not about health this is about control of a population And the fear of a virus of an invisible enemy, not unlike a terrorist, right? The invisible enemy that is being leveraged to exercise increasingly centralized control over a population. That is, in my opinion, what's happening. You know, I have dug very, very deep into um, the history of germ theory. Uh, into the role that germ theory has played in conventional medicine and the fear of infection um, and the ways in which that is, is the perfect smokescreen for control of individuals and mandating public health interventions, right? It's for the greater good. Mm-hmm. Now, we we also can look at many populations in human history who have Works with the concept of the greater good to the great detriment of a vast majority of the compliant population. So that's why I'm a huge believer, not only because I personally no longer believe in germ theory, I no longer believe in contagion and infection as being random assaults on the immune system, which is like, you know, this army out to defend your body. I believe that, um, microbes are bystanders, uh, what are so-called saprotrophs that help to clean up and restructure tissues that are otherwise poisoned, right? Largely by environmental exposures, sometimes psychic exposures um, and traumas, but that we live in harmony with the natural world and there aren't exceptions.
0: Absolutely, okay, stop right there because we both hit on the fact that we have a different major premise than many, many people, right? So I, I think when you say that, when people hear you say, well, I don't necessarily believe in the germ theory, they'd be like, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean? And, and of yeah. course I would say the same, right? I don't believe in the germs theory, but what do we mean? But yet, this is a major premise for us. So therefore all of our decisions, they, like where, where would I come up with right when this virus, even by the way, when I, when we, all the experts thought this was going to be way more deadly, Right? We were talking about, oh, my gosh, the you know, big, big numbers. I still was looking to get the virus, and nobody wants to be sick. But ultimately, I looked at it very differently. I definitely wasn't functioning in a fear mode. That's my major premise. Okay, so what is that major premise? Because back in the day, we could talk about Louis Pasteur and Koch, right, mm-hmm. and you know, that great debate. You might want to hit on this because- yeah, yeah. You know, people have to understand what we mean by that, like how you and I could just, you know, embrace these microbes and everyone else is running fear. Because, th- again, when you look, there's two groups out there, the fear group and the non-fear group. And I believe it is this major premise that somehow was instilled in us as kids, perhaps, maybe later, but is kind of determining whether we're in fear or not. And then we'll move out of this and talk about uh, some of the-
2: It's such an important point and thank you for, you know, pushing for clarification because this is the, is the conceptual shift that can set you free, right? I have not been afraid of illness for many, many, many years. I don't ever, ever worry, you know, and I think a lot of parents, um, have had the lived experience of sharing a cup with their snotty, coughing, puking kid and been totally fine. Right, and they know that their immune system is not Fort Knox, right? Like they've been stressed out, they've maybe not been eating great, but somehow they still just didn't get sick. And so there are these holes in the theory, but these holes in the theory disprove the theory, right? If there are exceptions to a theory, then it's time to go back to the the just
0: clear the germ theory is you get exposed to a, a a germ and you get sick.
2: It's exposure that is the vector of causality, right? So it's it's simply a matter of exposure um and then there's the secondary corollary that says the more vulnerable you are the more um you can catch the things right the more you will and that's you know i understand because i used to think that way mm-hmm. why when you see you know five people uh in a household get sick or five kids in a class or whatever it's the obvious assumption that something is spreading between them now my husband sergi and i have had many many debates about this topic because he's done a deep dive into the concept of exosomes, which is a really important other lens to look through because perhaps as we've kind of come to agree, there is such a thing as the sharing of important genetic material between bodies, right? That there is such a thing as there being an alarm signal that some may be calling a virus that is, is passed from one body to another. However, is it benevolent? Or is it malevolent, right? Is it there to harm you and take advantage of you like some energetic parasite? Or is it actually a means of like the mycelium, you know, beneath the soil and the way that trees communicate with each other when there is, you know, scarcity of a resource or there's a drought or whatever to shore up defenses. Is it a means interpersonally, interdependently of sounding an alarm to signal that there is a need for detox. The way that we can misunderstand infection is chiefly to not take into account the role of environment and lifestyle, because then we don't see that the body knows what it's doing and that so-called sickness and infection, what is it? It's sneezing, coughing, sweating, diarrhea, vomiting. It's the expulsion of cellular toxicity. It is the evidence that your body knows when you're poisoned how to resolve and recalibrate into homeostasis now what what are the poisons? Well there are many right in our unregulated uh, industry with over a hundred thousand unstudied you know toxicants and chemicals dumped and polluted all over this planet, glyphosate in our rainwater, fluoride in our water supply uh, you know the the electromagnetic, radiation and pollution that's essentially we're bathing in at all times. Yep. Then there's the psychological and psychic pollution that we often self incur. So the list is, is very long and that doesn't even include our diets, right? And our lack of exercise and all the rest of it. So what is this body meant to do? How does it purge the burden of toxicity that is accumulated over time? Does it do so by you know, self asphyxiating and injecting more poisons? What logical sense does that make? It only makes sense if this is a mechanical, you know, a robotic suit that needs to be you know kept up through additional infrastructural machinery. But most of us who have you know engaged in lifestyle based healing or you know in any interest in the, the impact of our daily choices on our lived experience know that that can't possibly be the case. that health is not achieved through you know fear-based uh prevent so-called preventive medicine
0: yeah so what you're saying is hey look we can't just run from these things you know there's so many other factors including our lifestyle environment etc and arguably what's taken out of the equation just with the germ theory is the fact that our bodies and you said it that would all be great if we were you know mechanistic machines right um, but we're not, we're vitalistic organisms that adapt. And and there, there's the conversation that it never happens. We as humans, vitalistic humans with an innate intelligent, intelligence gets stronger, how? Gets better, how? Mm-hmm. Adaptation, because it wants to survive. So therefore it's exposed to something. Now it has to adapt. And when you adapt, you become stronger and stronger. Of course, that's what I thought right away. I said, man, I want this because I want my body to adapt, whether I get sick or not, because I know this isn't going away anytime soon. Exercise, you do a force, it hurts at the time, it's painful, you know, but yet you get stronger when you adapt, right? It's like, we can go through many, many examples, hot, cold, et cetera. But the fact of the matter is, is adaptation is really the difference of a vitalistic body and a mechanistic body. And that through that adaptation is why the germ theory just by itself doesn't hold up. You know, arguably, you know, when early on, when this whole thing started, experts said, look, we cannot change the number of people in the end who are gonna be exposed to this. It has to hit what we call herd immunity. So many people, whether that's 70% of the population, some feel it's 80 now, whatever it is. But the fact of the matter is, is they said, all we can do is kind of flatten the curve so our hospitals don't get overwhelmed. I think many logical people said, okay, that, that sounds reasonable. Um, and I thought, okay, that's a great idea, you know, um, but now where did that go? Dr. Kelly, Mm -hmm. right. Meaning that Mm -hmm. now, now all of a sudden it's like, you know, we're, you know, literally it's been a, now it's a case, uh, epidemic here, a case demic, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, death rates are arguably dropping, you know, because our bodies are figuring it out. Their bodies are adapting. And I, and I would argue even the way we're. You know, dealing with it and treating it is better. But the fact of the matter is, is that what happened to herd immunity? Like they all made a point of saying it has it, but what happened, Kelly? It's gone.
2: Yeah. I mean, that so called cognitive dissonance, which is the uh, introduction of conflictual material deliberately to induce a state of confused helplessness. It's a part of this whole psychological operation that people, you know, hear Fauci say one thing and then say another, and then the who says this and says that. It's a part of getting people to the point where they throw up their hands and they don't even have an opinion any longer. They just kind of surrender, you know, to what's happening, and that is architected, right? Because none of it makes any sense. I mean, the the, the lapses in logic are so profound that. I've noticed recently that people are kind of like digging their heels in in a new way, particularly around mask wearing, Um, that there's more shaming of non-maskers and more of uh, this this kind of like territorial, like how dare you kind of energy. And I imagine that it's been many, many months where they have been self-violating in compliance with this agenda, and it doesn't make sense to them on a conscious level. So they have to declare their allegiance, maybe even more strongly, you know, because otherwise this is how we resolve cognitive dissonance. Like we pick a side and exclude all of the inconvenient information that would challenge that side. But a lot of this, and and you've heard me speak about this, I feel doesn't have to do with information. You know, it has to do with our trauma responses and it has to do with the ways in which we are um, conditioned to either comply with authority and specifically what I call parentified authority. So I, I kind of, you know, reference it as mommy medicine and daddy government, uh, or defy. You know, those are two sides of the same coin. Uh, I am a
1: defy. I'm <laughs> a
0: defier. I yeah. am. I see it. And I'm like, uh-uh. No. But then there's the people what they call the Karen's that run around, not I mean, they run around telling on people. Like right. I mean, what's the psychology there? Like my, my whole brain can't even go there. I can't even imagine. Like, it's like, I just go live life the way you want to live it. It's like, if I, you know, if I'm in that much fear, I'll stay home. I'm not going to run around telling other people how to live their life. I mean, what's going on with the Karen philosophy, <laughs>
2: because It's the tattling toddler, right? Yeah, okay. All right. It's just, and you know. you know, we, we idealize our parents. Our, our parents may abuse us, neglect us, abandon us, and there is still that little child that says, one day you'll love me correctly, right? One day, I know you will, and I'm going to wait and never, ever, ever leave you until you do, right? But then we're supposed to emancipate, right? And we're supposed to adult. And part of that adulting process is recognizing that we were in merger as a child should be for, for survival. And now we have to extricate all that we are as an independent individual and declare our I am, declare who we are as distinct from our parents. And we have to go it on our own because our parents are not coming with us on our adult life journey. That emancipation into sovereignty is something that most of us have not done. As a collective, we've not done that. We are still in these childlike, psychological realms, and I say it's either the Karen, right, the idealized um, compliance, or it's the defiant, you know, kind of rebel, but unfortunately, both of those still orient around authority as if it has the power, right, but that's an illusion, it's an illusion, because we are already sovereign, we already have the power that we think we need to in protests and petitions and whatever else beg for from the authority that we ourselves have infused with the power we already have it and so if each individual begins to orient around their sovereignty orient around the reclamation of that power on these different levels you know medical um nutritional financial educational Eventually, I think there will be a tipping point where there is a new experience of what governance is actually about. And there will be a reinstallation of morality as a compass, because when you follow orders without checking with yourself and deeply interrogating whether those orders are consistent with your moral compass, that is how evil things happen, right? Mm -hmm. That's how the Holocaust happened. It was good people following orders because without that mass compliance, these things don't go down. They're just hatched ideas that you know kind of like wither because they don't have the vital force of you know people who otherwise would never comply with what they're being asked to do if they weren't afraid. But until and if we understand that it's our job to take personal responsibility, that it's no one else's job to make us feel safe, including the government, right? Including law enforcement. It's actually our, it's an inside job to create the conditions of safety for your own life, for your own body. We won't, you know, see it for what it is. And that's why, you know, if we just kind of take the word for, you know, from, from mainstream media of what's happening, we can be Left so utterly confused mm-hmm. that there's no hope of ever getting to the point where you're you're deeply investigating what your role is. you know, I don't know if you know that kind of parable of all the blind men feeling the elephant in different parts, right, so it's like you know one blind man's feeling the the trunk and one is feeling the back and one is feeling a leg and and they're all trying to talk about what it is that they're feeling, and one's like, Oh, it's a rope or it's a table or it's a tree trunk. And we're kind of in that position, you know, I'm in the camp that is, you know, like many who are issuing FOIA requests, um, that is saying, no, actually, this virus has never been isolated or purified. I haven't seen scientific evidence that it actually exists, not not to mention evidence that it's actually a causal uh, vector of pathology. So that's how much I want to say, hold on a minute, what are we even talking about? And have the basic scientific premises and criteria been fulfilled for us to even say things like "I got COVID" or like you know this many people are dying from it or not dying from it? I mean, we we know ab- about the you know death certificate manipulation that's been done in service of the case demic, yeah. um, and the 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 fact that PCR tests are being used when the inventor himself said they should never be this should never be used for diagnostics. Mm-hmm. So what are we talking about? Can we zoom out here? And we can't zoom out if we're arrested in a state of fear that is induced by an authority that we trust. So there's a rupture that has to happen. And in my clinical practice, I've exclusively worked with women who've experienced that rupture with the medical system. That's why they're able to see, wow, I was being abused by this system and now I can choose differently because I understand that I don't share values with this system and if I give my consent, I will be violated and I will have participated in my own violation. So there's this, this rupture is very disorienting though because there's a a terrain you have to traverse that, you know, it's like nothing you've ever seen before because if you think that government is to be trusted and you think that medicine has basic principles of, of wellness and care for other humans at the core of it and you think that the media would never really spin theater for you and you get to a point where you say none of that is actually true. Then you live in a world where you're like, oh, "Am I on my own? <laughs> right? But no one is here to make sense of this for me. No one is here to protect me." Yeah, so
0: and- people go one way or the other. The, the social media, mainstream media, and, and both have their issues, right? Social yeah. media, a lot of the stuff gets going, and people get sucked. And then mainstream media, you know, has has their pitfalls and what they're saying and doing. So what you're saying is that people have to grab onto something, right? You know, otherwise they feel alone. They don't have anything. And that's a bad, scary place for a human. You know, I, I um, you know, gosh, it, there's so much here. I, It's like to unpackage this is just, it's beyond me. But, you know, I, I so want people to, you know, not be in a state of fear. I, I think that's, you know, me as a, uh, for you know, someone who cares about people's health and bringing them information. It's like, okay, how do we break people out of this? That's why I kind of pulled back yeah. into the major premise, right? You know, but you do, and again, with the, the risk of getting this shutdown, you, you really do believe and in, in, in many people do, that there is a bigger agenda or people are taking advantage of the fear, creating it more to drive their agenda. I, I think most people watching this believe there's a a, a one world order agenda. You know, I, it, you know, there's a lot around that, right? We can talk about, you know, Bill Gates, what he's doing with vaccinations and this whole thing. And of course, you know better than I, um, that fear is absolutely the way to get, and you already made that point. Where's it gonna end? I mean, honestly, what's your opinion? Now, this is only your opinion that you don't have a crystal ball, right? And, and it's never what we think. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, if we looked at two scenarios, one being how does it end good?" and another being, uh, maybe it doesn't end as good, but you know maybe you should examine both of those and then how what can we do to end good? Okay, there you yeah. go.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, there's another parable. it's a Chinese parable, and it's basically about this this farmer, and there are all these little scenarios that come into his life, and including his you know uh, son breaking his leg and his horses being stolen. And every single time the neighbors come to his house and they express either excitement, oh, there was also good things that happened, quote unquote, good things, Um, excitement or, you know, sort of concern or dismay or whatever. And every time he says, well, maybe, right? So it's this idea that what looks good, quote unquote, may actually turn out to be, you know, a great downfall. And what looks bad may be exactly what is needed. To liberate us to more expansive experiences of joy and embodiment and vitality, right? Yeah, perfect, and I, to I, my point, it's not what you think. It's never what you think. Okay. Right. Go ahead. So I would at this point, I am no longer naive enough to take the bait of you know suggesting that I had any idea what is meant to happen. Hmm. Um, I know that as a lover of truth, um, it 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 brings me you know to an inner disturbance. Uh, when I see how many people are captured, right? And I feel in a minority. Me too, I, I feel the same exact way. Right, but it's a story. It's a story I tell myself and then I am brought into the same resonance of fear and helplessness, you know, you that
0: are in. I even feel irritation. Right, and we're, feel well, through, they feel it. If <laughs> you go through all of those emotions, either way it's creating an emotion that's probably not good. And and yet I know. So, okay, go ahead.
2: So, but I'm also, you know, not a believer in spiritual bypass, right? So I am not a positive psychology type of gal and I don't, just personally, it doesn't work for me. Um, So I know that you got to get into the mud, you know, to find the Lotus. And when I say get into the mud, what I mean is that this is an incredible opportunity to do the work, the work of adulting the work of reclaiming all of that projected shadow and the work of integrity, right? So mm-hmm. when I say projected shadow, I, an example is that I have over the course of my activism career, you know, and professional clinical career, I have fallen prey to vilifying um, the conventional medical system, you know, the FDA, the government, and all the rest. Um, that's problematic because there is a dispassionate way to generate awareness that does not involve uh, finger pointing, blaming, and ultimately implying that I am a victim or that anyone is a victim, Yeah. right? And the truth is that what I judge is a part of me that I have not learned to love. I believe that, right? So how am I, so then I can turn the mirror and look at myself and say, how am I being hierarchical, being authoritative, being controlling, being coercive, being manipulative. How am I knowing it all, right? Mm-hmm. And insisting that others comply with my perspective. Right. And in, in my spiritual process, I have found many, many ways in my own life, in my public uh, work that I, I am those things and I do those things. And so to, to heal, first of all, accept that that's true, but then also to find other ways to express myself um, to trust, to respect others, to exercise compassion, all these things, that is the healing. Because then that out there won't have the power over me that it will have if I am rejecting that same part within me.
0: Yeah, I mean, do we have to figure out what that part is? Because you're right. When I get that emotion, I realize that has control over me. And I, I intuitively know that's not good. You know, yeah. that shouldn't even make me, I should just forget about it. Right. But I'm a fixer, probably something from my childhood. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, I want to fix. I wanna, uh, and it's like, you know um, yeah, we will analyze me later. Right. It's, uh, <laughs> <but anyways.
2: laughs> it's very common. And, and that's a big, you know, point of, if I were to give any guidance, it would be to say everyone has their own journey. It is not your job. It's not my job. It's not his job. It's not her job to, bring anyone to the light. Okay. Bring anyone to the truth, declare your truth. Be unafraid to show up as yourself. I call it strong spine, soft heart, right? Know who you are, know what your boundaries are, know what your no is, but then allow everyone to have their experience. Does it, does it, um,
0: could it lead to just do nothing and then we don't make a difference at all? Right. No, there's
2: a lot to do. There's a lot to do. And I'm a big, you know, kind of international rallier and, you know, I, I love a mission and I love to kind of be on the same yeah. thing. I, I, yeah. So, so that's what comes naturally to me. However, the real thing to do the real work in my opinion is inner work and it's interpersonal work, right? So where in your life do you have tension in a relationship? Right. So so all of those um, parasitic dynamics, codependent dynamics, dysfunctional toxic dynamics are being smoked out because they hold pearls of our disempowerment and are are consenting to neglecting and otherwise enabling these dysfunctional relationships that then ripple forward to the greater collective to create a, a shared hell. That's what's going on. If we all were doing the inner work, the personal work, and I believe in a hierarchy, you know, first physical, you know, get your lifestyle cleaned up, then interpersonal, start to look at your relationships, your job, your marriage, you know, all these things, and then spiritual, right? So, what are you here for? What is? What have you inherited ancestrally, right? Like, how can you understand your compass around good and and evil? Is there such a thing in your world? I don't know, but this. Work is entirely internal, and I am a big believer that we have to learn to soothe ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. So when I, you know, see a piece of content or whatever that gets my heart racing and gives me this urgent feeling that I have to share it, I know that that's the sign that I am coming from a child's wound. Right. So how can I soothe myself? Right. How can I yep. soothe my child self and have my my sovereign adult? dispassionate, calm, cool, collected, undisturbed, you know, consciousness, take the wheel and not let the toddler inside me take the wheel. She doesn't know how to drive. She doesn't know where the hell we're going. I'm the adult here. Everything's cool. And that is not to say don't act. It's to say act from this place of self-position because otherwise it is manipulation and it's coercion and it's the propagation of fear, even if it looks like activism. So this Yeah, the work that I've had to do, I still do every day. But I'll add, I also think the work is very material, right? So it's in our lifestyle. So I know for me, I've had to get real about how it is that I'm participating in the system that I'm judging and condemning as having zero interest in the human experience and quite the contrary, looking to install artificial intelligence you know, instead of uh, fostering humanity. Okay, so how is it that I am actually participating in that system? Like, am I protesting the butcher that's selling rotten meat, but then every Friday I take their like, you know, their their free leftovers they give out? Like, where is that unintegrated, even hypocritical energy alive in my life? And I found it in a lot of places, right? So now I am focusing a lot of my energy on growing my own food on you know raising my own eggs. On uh, I just um, uh, maybe a week ago uh, got off my smartphone. Right, so I have a flip phone now. Um, I'm looking at currency. Like, what is my relationship to currency? Where am I investing? You know, where am I supporting a system that is uh, ultimately a machinery of uh, dehumanization and control? And all of these. Amazon that's a big one for me in 2021 I'm getting off Amazon Do you know how inconvenient that's going to be for me (laughs) like and I can't I can't unsee that I am supporting and participating in exactly the energy that is rolling out this control grid and the fourth industrial revolution that I am sounding the alarm on Mm -hmm. right so this is the the difficult work but I know from personal experience, it's incredibly high yield. And what's on the other side, it's like, you can't even imagine how awesome it's gonna be, right? So this, this is the work of liberation and we want to feel free. We yeah. need um, to feel free. And, right? and the
0: whole situation is doing the opposite. That's why anxiety, suicide is going up because we're we feel- the exact opposite of what you're saying is occurring. And again, what you're saying, is the solution. I said, we we're going to get the solutions. You know, I heard you say this, I stole this from you, but you know, what we are is basically children in adult clothing. And when the, the more we're reacting and responding that way to the situation and, and other situations in our life, uh, you know, the, the more we, well, we act inappropriately. We're not going to get things done. We're gonna become more angry, fearful, right? But you know, so act, you're responding as the adult. Right. It's like instead yeah. of the child and, and I'm sure, look, you can give your book because this is something you you know put a lot of uh, obviously time teaching into. And you know, we're talking about it here in, in uh, such a short period of time. But people should really get your book.
2: One piece of one piece I just want to clarify, though, is that it's not self suppression. Right, so it's not that you feel this rage bubble up inside you, or you feel this anxiety that you might just like explode with fear over, you know, or you feel this like irritation or or fear, and then you say, stop that, (laughs) get it together, you know, be the adult. If it were only so simple, by the way. That's not it. Yeah, exactly. That is not it at all. These emotions are old. For most of us, if not all of us, from, through my lens, they were ignited. That resonance took form in our bodies decades ago. Mm-hmm. And we continue to create interpretive experiences of our lives to re-experience those emotions that have not yet been met with mastery of adult consciousness. Right, So instead we've run from them, we've medicated them, we've rejected them, we felt ashamed of them. And now we have this opportunity to understand that emotions are very real. They are very powerful, look what they're doing. You know, It's emotions that are actually the, the, uh, the enforcement layer of this operation is emotional, right? So this is a very powerful vector and it deserves to exist, it must exist. Otherwise, that's what symptoms are, in my opinion. They're a way often for you to see that you were not doing a great job honoring who you are and what's inside you and feeling it and responding to it, right? Because if I eat a bagel every morning for breakfast and then I have a headache and I feel irritable and then I take a Tylenol and I have a candy bar, you know, as a chaser, I am not learning the language of my body. I am not honoring that my emotions are real, and they're trying to show me something yes. right that's not optimal for your organism no. okay? so there's a way it's to disease. learn how to feel
0: emotions that leads to disease
2: disease right yeah exactly mm-hmm. and and you know the way to learn how to feel these emotions is no one can do this work for you, but it's yes. also yes. acknowledging that they're you know often the you know the puppeteer of our behavior and so how can it be that we make room for our emotions we learn their roots um we understand what our triggers are we recognize when we might otherwise act from that place of real childishness which is not to say it's disparagingly but just realistically that it's old it's, it's from our childhood um and we begin to learn sovereignty which is really ultimately remembering how to love, remembering what love is, that it's not saying yes when it's easier to say yes and no when it's easier to say no. Often it's the opposite, you know, it's, it's leaning in with compassion when otherwise we would say no. And often it's creating that boundary of no, When otherwise it might be easier to comply and we would get the approval of you know our peers and maybe even that authority right so this process is very individualized um but it does involve the generation of the conditions for emotional mastery and this is men and women you know it's it's all of us um and it's it's an incredible opportunity for us to begin to do that
0: right right now i hear you saying is is an incredible opportunity for emotional mastery, right? You know, of course for the situation, but it goes beyond the situation. Right now, there's just something poking, um, which is creating more symptoms, right? And so the question is, Is what are you going to do with those symptoms, right? Are you going to cover them uh, or are you going to listen? I, it, we could have the same talk physically and yes. the emotional, right? Exactly. And so you're right. I mean, there, there's a process here. This is an incredible time. You know, the beginning of all of this, I did a video with my uh, family and I said, you know, we're choosing to look at this as the greatest opportunity mm-hmm. for our family ever. You and know that, what, and I have to say, this year has turned out to be just that. And, and yes. so many ways that, you know, get, with the holidays as a family, we celebrated that, right? You know, that was part of the victory. So, you know, watching this, I hope people say, gosh, you know, I'm gonna stop looking at it the way I'm looking at it. I'm gonna look at this as an incredible opportunity to really enter Look, focus here, not here and make this better. And guess what, folks, you're going to be better. You're going to be happier. You're going to be healthier. Right. Uh, so to your point, right. Uh, you know, it, this is a, an incredible opportunity. What's the name of your book?
1: Hmm.
2: Um, well, yeah, I'll just add before sharing that, you know, that, that the truth is not scary, right. When you get down to a layer of, you know, you dig deep enough, and you ask enough questions and and you get enough information to confirm and validate your intuition, and that's a big part of what I I like to do is provide the science not to convince anyone or coerce anyone, I tried that, it doesn't work, Um, but to support the intuition of folks who might not otherwise be as scientifically inclined or whatever, Um, when you get down to a layer that sets you free, that's the truth keep digging otherwise keep asking questions is this real might this be a myth might this be a lie right how how many layers of obfuscation are operative here because when you get down to the truth you will feel free and unafraid and for most of us that has to do with tapping into harmony and design that is native to the human experience everything is meaningful and everything is here to serve our return you know to a state of of love and until we can create the intellectual conditions psychological conditions and then begin to heal you know internally uh, emotionally physically and otherwise we'll just kind of touch that a little bit but don't don't rest until you get there because then you will feel truly that even in the midst of all of this and your awareness of how dark some of these occultist forces are, you will also retain your joy. Hmm. It's not a bypass. It's not sprinkling you know, glitter, fairy dust and unicorns and saying, oh, it's one love, everything's fine. No, everything is not fine. And it's a paradox. It's also perfect. Right? Uh, that's so good I,
0: to look at it. You know, Because all yeah. like, that oh, yeah, love, everything's love. Everything's no, I love. don't vibe it's like, with that. Well, you know, it's like, I, I hate it because it's like, no, not, it's not, you know? It's like, oh, I no. that approach. Right, yeah. and
2: there's a lot that is not okay. And that moral compass is, is what we're reclaiming now, yeah. right? Because yeah. when I, you know, when I see, you know, many elements of what's happening right now, I know it's wrong and I feel that in my body and I hope to hang on to that, right? When I see a whole street worth of people in a mask and my, you know, heart hurts, I hope I never ever lose contact with that because if I do, I have I've given away an essential aspect of my humanity, which is the sensitivity to what is wrong. Yeah. And so, you know, I I when am
0: I see a someone far, when driving see- in their car by themselves with a mask on. It's okay to feel like I, I want to stop them, and be like, Whoa, did you forget to take it off? Or like, what's your paradigm here? I mean, you know, that my my agitation. Um, but so with that, right. So you're saying it's okay to feel that. But then what you're saying is, what do I do with it after that?
2: Yeah. That it's, you know, listen, if you're in a position to provide information to somebody that might serve to awaken them to a truth, that's going to set them free. Please try, please at least try, right. Declare yourself, speak your truth, but do it non-coercively and without attachment to their getting it. Yeah,
0: that's, that's fact, yeah.
2: Right, because again, their journey has to do with deep, deep, deep threads and roots that stem back to their largely probably unexamined traumas and they're not ready to see the bad daddy. That would crumble their whole universe. Right or to understand that they may have so many of the traits that they otherwise judge in others or whatever it might be, right? That people are only ready when they're ready, and that's the truth. But that doesn't mean we should try to generate awareness and to yeah. do our own, you know, inner
0: work. One of my here's one of my adult uh, discoveries. You know, as an adult um, with passion and purpose. I thought I could fix everybody, and I wanted to, and I thought I could convince everybody, and I wanted to, and I thought I should, and I battled it, and then I burned out, and then my, my adult realization was, you know what, when they're ready, you know, they'll come, and God will put the right one in front of me at the right time, you know, and now I, they do come, and they come, and you know when they're ready. And then you have a good conversation. <laughs>
2: it's 100% like, agree. Yeah. I mean, all I've ever, ever. Dr. Done... Papa. That's the adult Dr. Papa. Yeah. No, I mean, it's absolutely true because, you know, there's this this kind of protector, savior, victim, you know, triangle that we can rotate around. Um, and we all struggle with victimhood. I've said, I think it's the only human pathology uh, is that when we, we are delusionally convinced. That we don't have power, you know, uh, over our own experience, or that somebody else has power greater than ours. Mm-hmm. Um, but that savior role, of course. I mean, I, I relate to that completely. And that's when I started to research, like, or at least interrogate my own ex- clinical experience to say, like, what makes someone ready? Because yeah. by the time they are at my office ready to come off of psychiatric medication or whatever it is, they're already ready. I don't have to do anything, honestly, other than then just tell them they're not crazy, right? Or just give them permission yeah. to find themselves and, and hold that space strong because there will be a lot of infiltrating energies, including their own, that seek to sabotage, right? That seek to keep us dependent um, and you know, within the tribal confines of our old self that we promised our family we would be forever kind of a thing. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, and it's an elusive thing. I haven't figured out, you know, what makes somebody ready, but I do see a lot, a lot of people uh, readying, you know, in this moment.
0: Well, Dr. Kelly Brogan, how can they find you more information? You still never gave the title of your book. Oh yes, yeah. so.
2: <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I have uh, three books. Actually, I have my first book, a mind of your own, um, And my most recent one is called Own Yourself, which is more on these topics we've been talking about um, today. And I've I've written about these topics from, you know, more uh, contemporary topics on my uh, blog, uh, which is kellybroganmd.com. I am moving off of um, social media and really only on, um, I have a newsletter, but I'm really only on Telegram. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's... uh, it, it's so far, seems like a safe space to share information, um, but I don't support kind of chats, you know, and that kind of thing with- yeah, sure. of,
0: Someone just you know. told me about it. it. It's kind of more safe than say, um, WhatsApp, you know, yeah. no one in mind. Yeah. You know, I've done a lot less social media too, right? It just, uh, probably for the same reasons you have, you know, it's just, you know, It's an
2: know. engineered cesspool and it's engineered for division. And, you know, we, we just take the bait, it's all of our wounds being flung around and our unexamined, you know, victimhood and all the rest and it's not community. So that's why I, I'm a believer in paid community online, and finding it in your in your lived, you know, space. Um, we need that now, we need people to hold a certain resonance of truth and values. Uh, yep, in, you're right. and
0: well, wealth of knowledge, and uh, right now you should be selling more books than ever,
2: uh, <laughs> because I don't think anyone's reading anymore. They're <laughs> YouTubing
0: There's yeah. a unique time here to take advantage of making ourselves better. Honestly, physically too, and we didn't even get there, right? <laughs> I mean, but you know, it, it's some some will take charge, others will remain victims. Um, uh, choose to take charge of your emotional health spiritual health and physical health in a time like this. It's only a positive. Thank you, Dr. Kelly, for being on. Thank
1: you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, which was brought to you by Fastonic Molecular Hydrogen. Please check it out at GetFastonic.com. We'll be back next week and every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. We truly appreciate your support. You can always find us at cellularhealing.tv. And please remember to spread the love by liking, subscribing, giving an iTunes review, or sharing the show with anyone who may benefit from the information heard here. And as always, thanks for listening.